and welcome to another episode of the O3C podcast coming to you from O3C Towers. I'm in a tower, my name is Jonathan Dunn. Let down your hair, who are you? I'm at the base of the tower, desperate to climb up. It's Chris Dow. And we're chatting about video games. <laughs> Nailed it. That's a new one. Announcement! Announcement! Firstly, a huge big thank you to new subscribers and donators, Nicholas Caminiti and Jason Scott. Big love and huge hugs for showing us the support. It is enormously appreciated and we're looking forward to getting to know you both in the O3C Discord. If you would like to be similarly welcomed into the throes of our loving embrace, then you too can do just that. Head over to our website, o3c.game support, and you can either chuck us a one-off donation via PayPal to say thanks very much for all the excellent content, to treat ourselves to a coffee or a beer or a video game, or you can click the Patreon link, or just go straight to patreon.com slash O3C games and whack down a monthly pledge, which will be very, very gratefully received. And you will receive a veritable George Whoppington of bonus <laughs> material, <laughs> including full bonus episodes, exclusive deleted scenes, outtakes, bonus video content, full video versions of these episodes which are uncut, and golly, oh golly saint gosh, we'd love it. You'd love it. Do it. So we're back with a play date update. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I am constantly being amazed at how much I love my play date. I play it more and more, like, as the weeks go on. Uh, the more, well... I guess it's the more games that are being released and the more it's sort of finding its its place in my sort of gaming activity suite. I've played so many games on the play day. <laughs> I have, I've played so many. Uh, you know what? I'm going to give a very, very quick rundown of most of them. And then I've picked a couple out to talk just a, a little bit more about in detail. So firstly, I returned to The King's Dungeon, Squid God Dev's Microvania, because yes, uh, yeah. I hadn't played the second bite-sized dungeon in the game and i have done that and it was quite annoying to be honest <laughs> yeah i mean i i still love the concept of a metroidvania boiled down to small like 20 minute experiences and i hope it does release more dungeons for it in the future because it's a good concept and i think it was just a bit too fit it didn't help the fact that i was playing it whilst waiting for an x-ray in a and e and i was already bored and frustrated and in a small degree of pain yeah but it'd be a great addition to the catalogue uh, and that'd be nice i'd certainly double dip if it double does appear on there <laughs> secondly i finished celeste classic uh, oh, another side-loaded gem and it was quite brilliant i think between this and king's dungeon it really shows the potential for more platforming games on the play date yeah celeste is a bit fiddly but because it's just these like single screen platforming challenges and it restarts immediately if you die it's just not a pain in the ass to retry each bit several times whether or not it's through your own fault or because you felt a little bit hard done by in what it was asking you to physically do on such small controls but yeah loved it thirdly i replayed through the entire of bloom <laughs> just start to finish just the whole story start to finish Lovely. start to finish because i wanted to buy it on the catalog and show rng party some more love and support and I i'm still totally blown away by this game it was surprisingly engaging playing through it again despite knowing how everything was going to pan out and like what the game was doing 
but some of those dialogue moments and those mechanics that were involved just continue to wow me like nothing else has done it's it's masterful and yeah. it remains just an absolute highlight of the Playdates oeuvre. It's it's also really really nice to pick up with some of the post game conversations which have yes, been added in, yeah. in the the recent update, and they're just really really lovely. Like the the sort of characters I'd love to just check in with every few weeks, see how it's going, see what's been going on, how their lives are continuing to unfold, and I, I don't know how much additional stuff there is in this update, but I'd love it if RNG Party continued to release just little extra installments in the story, just for years to come like almost like a soap opera you know like semi-regular yeah. episodes and updates and stuff and a couple of new flowers and i just love it i love that world it's just it's wonderful fourthly i picked up a few more catalog games as Naturally. well starting with a game <laughs> called skew which is essentially a 3d endless runner game where you're traveling into the screen having to navigate your little sort of like a dirigible around various obstacles just to go for as long as possible it's easy to control it's quite simple it's very very well made it's good fun but it is ultimately just a high score chaser yeah it is a very very good one at that and it does feature the vocal talents of jason isaacs uh, because it's a spin-off really? well not a spin-off it's like an adjacent game to what's that game is it is it the last worker oh yes yes is that it and i think you're playing as like a little droid from that game and i think the droid in the game is voiced by jason isaacs and they've just pulled out some voice samples uh, from still, the game into this but still. that's got to be the biggest unofficial celebrity endorsement of the play date doesn't it i mean absolutely <laughs> absolutely although actually when you reach the top of mount celeste you do get a little uh, victory speech given by anne widdicombe <laughs> so uh... <laughs> always be true to yourself dreadful woman yep Fifthly, a similar game, in a way, to Skew, is Grand Tour Legends, which is a bicycle racing game where you're using the crank to pedal your rider as the stage whizzes past you. And the game looks insanely good because the backgrounds of these stages are just compressed one-bit FMVs, yeah, which you're yeah. just going through. But the way it's, like, compiled makes the illusion totally work and look and feel just really really good fun even though like you aren't actually doing much because you're not even steering you're just trying to crank at a sort of steady rate so yeah. you don't crash it's just about navigating the up and down hills of the course so you can like maintain your your stamina and your speed as a mechanic is not massively exciting but like the experience it puts you in just really elevates that so yeah it's a really good game and there's, there's a few achievements to unlock on each of the tracks um, yeah. depending on how you play it high scoreboards and all of that stuff so yeah it's good i remember years and years ago i think the official playstation magazine like the playstation 2 magazine or something as a kid reviewed a tour de france game and at the time, they were like, it seems like it should be really boring, but just maintaining stamina, reasonably addictive. Yeah. And I get the same vibe from Grand Tour. Yeah. It feels yeah. like, yeah, I think I could probably get into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'd really like it. You'd like yeah. it. I, lo I love a boring, weird game. <laughs> you do. You do. <laughs> Sixthly, and uh, this is what I'm going to talk just a little bit, little bit more about, is a game called Shining Gadget. Ah, tell me about this one, because I've seen okay. it on the catalogue. Now, it's a game that it really caught my attention, because it's quite different to anything else on the play date, and it's attempting to do some, some really ambitious things, because 
Shining Gadget is actually one of a pair of monster catching games with its counterpart Shadow Gadget available on the catalogue as well with the intention that you can trade monsters with a friend. I'll talk a bit about how that works or doesn't work in a minute but I'll touch on the central mechanics. The game is essentially an idle game with nothing to do really between monster encounters but wait for the next one to arrive which will just happen periodically. Yeah. You can speed this up by just miscellaneously doing stuff with your playdate like using the crank or walking around with it or talking to it because the microphone and the accelerometer will both pick up inputs for this yeah and then when you encounter a monster you go into full ghostbusters catching mode because the monsters are all ghosts basically and you then need to use the accelerometer and you've got to tilt the playdate to line up your target into a target zone which is moving about your screen and then when you're lined up when you're inside that then you start to crank like mad and you slowly like wear the monster down and until you, you capture it or, or it evades you and it's fun it's a it's a fun mechanic it's coupled with some ridiculous sound effects of almost like banzai style uh, commentary <laughs> It's got a great tone, it's brilliantly presented, it's got the great graphics and the sound effects, but ultimately this game comes down to how you can use its wider network features and regrettably it's not a solution that has been able to be found just within the game because you need to go through an entirely separate app you have to run on a Windows PC. That's not fun for you, is it? It's not fun for me. Macman. Yeah, Mac- Mr. Macman. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking I might be able to get it running on, on my Steam Deck, but I was like, oh, that's not Windows either. Uh, but th- there might be a way. Yeah, I'll bet I can um, find a way. I'll find a way. You basically have to link your Playdate to this app and then connect it to that. But I mean, I, I haven't been able to do it, and I have tried. I even downloaded like a trial of Parallels desktop yeah. thing for my Mac and installed Windows just so I could try... Uh, um, to get GhostNet running and every time I, I was connecting I was following the instructions my playdate just kept hard crashing and it even comes with warnings just being like unless you follow the instructions you could break your device yeah. so I'm like how has this been officially released if that's still a danger like I yeah. appreciate the ambition of it but I don't, I don't understand and, and it scares me but I haven't <laughs> been able to do it and, and it's a real shame because like I can see that those events tease where you can catch certain monsters at certain times and obviously trading things and and loads of stuff it just looks really interesting and really exciting i don't know if it's possible to house something within the game you have all of that functionality actually just in the game or on the play date but it feels like they should have got that working before they made a full game yeah and thought if we can't get that working people aren't going to enjoy this because as it stands as an example of one I can't get it working and I'm not enjoying it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And it's a shame because if you got Shadow Gadget and I got Shining Gadget and we could trade, you know, even if it was just like offset delay, just to upload it into a a mailbox or whatever and pick it up, we'd be having a great time. I wonder if in time these things will change because I mean, at the moment, I don't think there's any like synchronous multiplayer games on the play date that I've seen either seasonal or sideload or catalogue. And there are a few games that can interface with like high score boards online like whitewater wipeout from week one does that and some of the others as well so there is a way of connecting to a server yeah but yeah i don't know if there's a limitation in terms of what can be sent like packets of data is it purely just like you get a couple kilobytes and that's it or if there's some other limitations but with all these things it might change over time you know the play date gets updated reasonably frequently at the moment with little kind of tweaks and changes and I think it's having its big 2.0 kind of operating yes. system update very soon. Yeah. So 
you know, with all these things in time, perhaps there will be a solution and then it could then be a, a patch via the catalogue for these games as well. So we won't write it off just yet. It could be really great if it led with what the play they can do instead of what it can't do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last game I'm going to talk about for now is a game I touched on, I think, last time and you've touched on before, but we haven't discussed it properly together. And that is Tapeworm Disco Puzzle. It's good. It's a really brilliant puzzle game. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely superb. Basically, the gist of it is you are a worm and you need to fulfill a criteria of the stage you're on to complete it. And that's usually collecting X amount of collectibles or reaching an end point. And all the time you've got to make sure you don't die by going into spikes or enemies or other things like that. And as the levels go on, there's a hundred levels. It will basically introduce a new mechanic every few levels. For the first few, it really blindsided me because I'm like, oh, uh, okay, no, I, I thought I was just doing like a maze solving game or like a timing game. But then, oh, now it wants me to do something that's almost like lemmings or like this yeah. or like that yeah. or like this. But they're just, the way that those new mechanics are introduced is so perfectly done because they don't give you any explanation. You just need to go, oh, okay, there's a new thing. How does this work? You figure it out. And then you have to then work that into your puzzle solving strategies for the levels to come and it's just fantastic it's such clean design and it was so nice i played through it twice because i had it side loaded and then i bought it on the catalog <laughs> love to double dip i do and i'd love i'd love more levels to be honest or yeah. a sequel because it's just a perfect little puzzle game it fits the play date brilliantly as well just the graphical style is so so clean it doesn't need to be anything more than one bit for it to be readable I mean, I double dipped as well inadvertently yeah. because I have it on the play date. I bought it as a side load and I have it on the Evercade as well because it came on one of the, the collections there. And as much as I, I played through more of it via the Evercade on the NES version, as it were, I enjoyed more of it on the play date. Like it mm. fits that handheld and that kind of form factor really, really nicely. I think it is really worth celebrating. I think we have done pretty much this whole season. When developers get the art right, mm it's a real achievement because it's a tremendous limitation to be working with. Yeah. And some teams have sort of said, okay, what if we just kind of take a regular model or a regular image and we try and downscale it and kind of bit crush it down to kind of just one bit with dithering. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it gives it like a particular look that you go, oh, you know, it's got a charm. But I think when developers get it right and really think about the actual pixel density of the screen and what you can communicate or not communicate with just single dots or little patterns of, of dots, you get really impressive stuff. And this is a very different example to say Saturday edition, mm. which is about kind of atmosphere and everything else. This is about a game that needs to be very readable and you need to understand kind of what is going on. What am I avoiding? What are the enemies? What am I doing? But it still works just as well because it's got that crisp kind of clarity of line. And, you know, that's an art teacher talking. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what have you played this week? Well, a few things. But before I talk about anything I've played... I'm going to talk about what I've listened to because it's relevant. Over the last few weeks, I've essentially listened to pretty much all of the official Playdate podcast. Mm. It had passed me by. I didn't know it was even out there. And I've got really into it. I think it's a very, very good show. What it's done in particular is it stimulated this thinking I've had in my head for a long time that I seesaw between believing art should be able to stand on its own and just be enjoyed cold by anyone. And then also believing that art is often better enjoyed with wider context. And what the Playdate podcast has done is essentially really pushed me towards the latter and really made me think about that. Because as someone like me, I enjoy engaging with media of all types. 
I am a creative person. I like arty things. But I often find myself thinking things like, okay, does a song that references another's melody or lyrics or something like that, does it need its audience to know that mm. to kind of enjoy it fully? Do you need to know the reference? Does abstract art, which is you know quite hard to get into, does it need its audience to understand, say, the contemporary artists working at the same time or a wider geopolitical context or should it just have aesthetic value in isolation or is it important to know say the genre codes and conventions of a tv show or a film to have a proper grasp on when something is directed too tight or when it subverts that and kind of pushes against those kind of trappings and really pertinent to this episode should games or playdate games in particular be able to be viewed as straight interactive things to enjoy or not or do they sometimes deserve a little bit of pre-reading, especially with the play date? Because this has a very particular piece of hardware that these games are tied to. The games have very particular development cycles. It's all very bespoke. And I think sometimes we might dismiss things that we think, oh, they just they haven't bothered with that. And when you hear someone actually talk about the, the challenges that it took to get something running at all, as we've said before with like the Squid God stuff, suddenly you think, oh, fuck. Like that's... <laughs> actually, that's quite impressive that that's yeah. running at all. And every episode of this show is excellent. I think it's really, really nicely produced. Each episode is like a kind of mini oral history. So instead of a conversation, it's kind of a conversation that's been then edited to be more like, you know, talking head sort of thing, that type of thing. And it covers all of the games from season one, as well as an episode on the Playdate's own very protracted dev cycle. And the whole show has really just changed my perception of several of the games this season. that I've otherwise felt a bit so-so on. It hasn't necessarily made games that I've not got on with suddenly become favourites, but it's been able to give me just additional context, which has made me think about their place on the console or their place in the season or even within their genre sometimes. Like hearing Dave make say that they wanted Executive Golf DX to be just a bit annoying. <laughs> it's like, oh, I, I thought it'd be funny if some of the power-ups were good and just some of them were rubbish. I'd be like, oh, that, that made me laugh. I'm like, yeah, not me. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's other ones like that's a good example. But Whitewater Wipeout, it suddenly makes a bit more sense as a homage to California games. Like yeah. If you, you know, it's a title that I've never known that well because I didn't have a microcomputer like the Commodore 64 as a kid. But knowing that game a bit more now and actually thinking about that in context, it's like, okay, no, it's a little high school thing as if it's an event from California games. Fair enough. You've met your goal, as it were. Something like Amaze, you know, it has a real story development history as a game intended to be like an adjacent product to a bespoke hardware experience that mm. the developer made for conferences called Rotor Ring. That, again, I've never heard of because I don't go to game developer conferences. <laughs> but it was off the back of that that Panic approached them and said, do you want to try and make something similar because our console is going to have a crank? And then suddenly you're like, oh, okay. So it's got its own lineage, even if it's not one I'm aware of. And even the narrative games that I found a bit tough to enjoy, like Demon Quest on the mm. more positive side and Lost Your Marbles on the yeah. more negative side, they suddenly had a bit more added value when I hear like a very small team talk about them, you know, perhaps being made as a side project to a bigger day job, perhaps as a way to kind of support creatives who are brand new to the games industry, which is kind of what Lost Your Marbles was as part of their team and kind of the wider people that are working with them. And I just think every episode is really nice because it's stuffed with little tidbits that have made me reconsider little aspects of all of the games we've played this season. All these games now have this extra layer of interest for me at least and i would really really recommend anyone with an interest in the play date certainly but also anyone who kind of is interested in just game design and how products are made 
give this a listen because like i've mentioned in the same way squid god's video logs on the design and development of the king's dungeon and core fault for example made me enjoy those games way more knowing the challenges that he had to overcome in order to get them running or working at all yeah listening to all these extended chats about the first season's games has really made me reconsider just my relationship with them and in some cases made me revisit them entirely with a level of clarity i just didn't necessarily have when we gave our first impressions for the show so that's a good thing now a game i've played oh i mentioned at the end of last episode how good sparrow solitaire on the playdate oh, is yeah that was a good tease and without fail i have now played it for at least 30 minutes a day every day since i bought it <laughs> i said a long time back how much i appreciated having a decent regular solitaire and tetris style game on the playdate in smolitaire and rain blocks but mm. it seems what i really wanted and i didn't necessarily realize <laughs> was a good Mahjong game yeah <laughs> because sparrow solitaire could be and I, I genuinely mean this i think it's the most comprehensive Mahjong solitaire game ever made <laughs> <laughs> on any device on any platform i'll assume that most people have played a Mahjong game it's a reasonably common thing to kind of stumble across like on a on a pc or on a little handheld console whatever but if you haven't the game is essentially just a game of pairs on a full-size game you get 144 little tiles to match and clear every design is repeated across four tiles so to make a match you just need to find two free tiles of the same design out of those four free means not underneath another tile and not blocked in on both its left and right sides, because that's considered a sort of closed piece that you can't get to. If the face is visible and it could feasibly slide out of the array to one of either side, you're all good. If you've never played a digital game of Mahjong, it will take you a maximum of one round until it starts mm. to make sense. It's not a hard game to grasp. And helpfully, Sparrow Solitaire features a nice little tutorial mode anyway. So if you are stuck, have a little read, you'll be playing in no time. I wouldn't say Mahjong is my favourite type of puzzle game, but going back through time, I did play an old PC Mahjong game years ago and I had fun. Slightly more recently, I did play a Vita Mahjong game around the launch of that console and I got the Platinum Trophy, so I played it quite a mm -hmm. lot. They're just quite effective time killers. More recently still, I have played a few Mahjong games on the Switch that add extras like an unfolding narrative or power-ups, a bit like Fairy Solitaire. Oh yeah. But none of them that I've played are anywhere near as good as Sparrow Solitaire, which is just the new gold standard of video Mahjong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> From booting the game up, you know you're in for a treat. Like you select the app on your Playdate home screen, the sparrow in the icon animates seamlessly, merging into the game's title screen. It's just a totally unnecessary flourish. <laughs> yeah. But it immediately gives what could have been a real vanilla experience, a feeling of class and care. And then in game, there is almost too much to cover, but I'm gonna try and go <laughs> over like just flippantly some of the things that are, are there for you to explore. You've got many, many board layouts to keep you busy. We're talking hundreds of board layouts to keep you busy. There's many, many backgrounds and tile sets and music tracks to keep the game feeling fresh so you're not bored of looking at the same thing every round. There's a huge range of accessibility options that can make this game as welcoming as it could possibly be on a little mm. dinky display. So you can set how you want the buttons to function, how you want the crank to function, if you want to view the tiles with a two-time zoom to help your iffy eyesight or not. If you want the cursor to show the depth of the stack you're hovering over if it's unclear if you want inaccessible tiles to be cross hatched out then the game features ludicrously in-depth stat tracking <laughs> that will cover your best times and scores for every layout the game will let you suspend any layout you're playing just by pausing the game or exiting the app so you can come back to it anytime if you're halfway through a board and need to go and do something else if you want more 
the game's got weather effects that will play over certain music tracks to just make it feel a bit more dynamic. Unbelievable. If you find that annoying, toggle them off. <laughs> You've got that choice as well. If you like some tile sets and backgrounds and tracks, but not others, you can build pretty much a custom playlist of favorites. So anything that could feasibly be customized to the point where there is now a web app that you can create your own graphics for entire tile sets from scratch. You can do it. Anything, you can do it. If you finish all of the layouts in the game, if you're bored of that, you can customize them yourself. You can make your own. <laughs> you can choose from any of the ones that are existing to kind of rearrange, or you can start from scratch. You can play curated daily boards. You can compare scores with friends using easy to share QR codes for those daily ones as well. So you can have a bit of competition if you have a WhatsApp group chat of Ma Yong heads. <laughs> <laughs> you can play a totally randomized board if you're somehow bored of everything else. You can play any of the layouts in a pass and play two player mode, which changes the game completely because then it's not about taking your time to make the best match. You're just trying to fuck over the other player so they mm. don't have a match. You can even explore a wholly separate Mahjong tile-based game called Shizen Show, which in itself could have been sold for a quid or two. Like, I'd never heard of it, but it's a different experience if you want to have it. This is now my new toilet game. <laughs> <laughs> like, I play around in the morning as I get ready for work pretty much every day. And then I normally do around in the evening in bed just before I go to sleep with the classic lava lamp glow, like I was saying I used for Saturday <laughs> <Love> edition. It. <laughs> it is the game I took into school with me every day to entertain myself during breaks from the GCSE art exam I was running because you have yeah. to sit and guard the coursework when the kids are not in there. So whilst people brought me my lunch, I just sat and played Mahjong. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a lovely utilitarian everyman sort of game that has somehow been elevated to just near perfection by the stacks and stacks of additions that hoiked in just for a laugh <laughs> the thinking that goes into producing something like this the design document must have been like overflowing with ideas and yet yeah. instead of saying well let's just focus on getting the game right they must have got that sorted very early and they were just mm -hmm. like well let's just do everything else we we brainstormed as well let's yeah. get it all in there if this game had a tenth of the content it would still be absolutely solid as it stands like I said, I don't know how Mahjong as a digital game gets better, especially on a one-bit device like the Playdate. <laughs> like, it's utterly charming. It's stuff with things to do. It's beautiful to look at. The soundtrack sounds like Kazumi Tataka took a few weeks off during sound design sessions in Animal Crossing yeah. and just contributed a few tracks for a laugh. It's really nice. It feels snappy. It's endlessly replayable. And it's just a perfect fit for the handheld. The $10 that it costs on the catalogue is a steal. <laughs> and to shuffle tiles for a last ditch hint you rattle the plate out around which proves that there is a satisfying use for the otherwise pretty inaccurate accelerometer too yeah yeah like i knew this would be a decent game because it's co-developed by the person who did fish and feathers which oh, I've, yeah. I've played for 25 30 hours at <laughs> this stage yeah but i don't think i realized just how good it could really be and this is easily now one of the best games of the Playdate for me. Easily one of the best available on the catalogue or via a sideload yeah. if you want to get it from itch. It's just an essential thing to put on the console. It's a lovely, lovely game. I agree entirely <laughs> with that. It is the game that I spent most of my time in hospital playing. Yeah. And I'm so glad that I did. It's wonderful and I've continued to play it most days. It's lovely. It's lovely, lovely, lovely. It's so weird to play a game like this deliberately with the sound on because it's yeah. just wonderful. How, I don't know how many tracks are on the soundtrack. It's about 10, I think, but they're like yeah. a minute or two each. 
Yeah. So you're going through it fairly regularly. Yeah. And every time I'm like, oh, yeah, I like this one. Oh, yeah, I like this one. Oh, this one's, oh, I remember this one. I like this one. <laughs> and I, I love the fact that the weather effects are tied to the music tracks as yeah. opposed to tied to the backgrounds. Yeah. Because like there's beautiful background art and you can choose which ones are your favourites and you can choose to shuffle just your favourites or shuffle all of them. And it would be easy if it was like, oh, here's a snowy scene. So this is the one where it snows and you put up this... Well, you say put up with, and it's snowing for an entire round. Yeah. But because it changes with the music, it means at any point, any background can become, oh, here comes some blossom, here comes some rain. And it's just the best way I can describe those things are entirely necessary, unnecessary things. Yeah. Because it is those things that make you keep playing, even though you're not consciously necessarily being like, oh yeah, I'm going to play that game because I like to look at the blossom. It's like, no, it's just that incredible care to make something that is just a wonderful experience. And it's masterful. Again, like continuing the conversation I started when I was saying about how and why, like I'd want to keep playing the play dates post sort of doing the season of games and, and seeing where it fits in my play style. Yeah. The other day I was just sat out in the sun first bit of like nice sort of sun where it wasn't entirely freezing as well so i sat outside my dog was sort of pattering around which was lovely and idyllic i had a non-alcoholic cider and i was just sat playing mahjong in uh, the bright bright sun and it was like i could do this all summer (laughs) yeah yeah well there's enough boards too (laughs) yeah absolutely incredible game i don't know if surprised is the right right word but i guess yeah I, i am surprised at how enamored i've been with several games yeah. on this device and yeah Sparrow Solitaire is, is definitely one of them it's a play date 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 You're going to go first, and you're going to tell us, Chris, about the first of the last official games in the first season of the Playdate. And Panic have released B360. They have. Panic have released B360. What is it? It is a game that you can sum up in a single what-if question. And that question is, what if your paddle in Alleyway or Breakout or Arkanoid could move all the way around the full perimeter of each stage... And the edges of the playfield no longer reflected the ball back to the player. That's the question. The answer is, it's not as fun. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, that's it. It is that concept, given a retro futurist trapping, I suppose, in terms of aesthetics. It's got some really lovely travelling starfield effects, kind of moving between stages. It's got a few little treats, like every stage is named, like an old ZX Spectrum Manic Minor level. I quite like that as a, a little silly throwback. But yeah, it's just... A game where you are able to traverse the border of the stage using the crank for analog movement. That's the game. There's a hundred stages to work through. They're segmented into tens. And each stage has its own custom layout of breakable or invincible blocks or collectibles for score. And you're just getting through them, overcoming them by hitting the blocks with your ball. It's that simple. It's it's alleyway. It's breakout. It's Arkanoid, like I said. The challenge, naturally, comes from when a shot misses and travels through the blocks... Whereas in any of those aforementioned brick-breaking games, the ball would hit the wall and eventually make its way back to you at the bottom. Here it's up to you to manually get to the other side and return the ball to yourself, as if you're playing both sides of a game of Pong. So if you miss a shot, you get one chance, because there is a wall that can be destroyed. Once the wall is destroyed, 
if it goes that way again, you lose a life. And very quickly, the game becomes extremely tense because that protection of the wall layers can be consumed so quickly when you whiff a shot. Because if you fail to hit it the first time, you're then not really set up to protect it the second time. And you can be in dire straits very quickly. Yeah. Now, my biggest issue with this game isn't the relatively simple setup. I can handle that. I quite like brick breaking games. It's not anything to do with the fundamental rhythm of it either. It's all about how the game controls. And with the crank, you have a huge range of ways to read input. So different developers, as we've seen all season, maybe they're polling for a wild spin, which you will mention, I'm sure, when we come to Ratcheteer shortly. Maybe they're polling for granular movement. Maybe they're using the crank as a tool to navigate a menu or a tool to control actual player movement. Maybe you're just using the crank to kind of guide something in the right direction like Core Fault does. Maybe movement is on a track and you're just kind of segmenting your way along it. But in B360, like Omaze before it, I've struggled massively because unlike Whitewater Wipeout, the crank is used to denote motion in either a clockwise or anti-clockwise direction and not a specific position. And I can almost guarantee that I'd enjoy this game probably 20 times more if I could know empirically that moving the crank to the uppermost position would make sure my paddle was at the top of the screen. That's enough for me to enjoy it more. But as it stands, there's just this continued level of cognitive dissonance between the paddle sitting, say, on the left of the screen and the crank at that time facing down or away from the device because it's not relative to what's happening on screen. It's just relative to where you last moved it. And I cannot seem to allay what is happening on screen with what I'm holding in my hand. And I know we both had this struggle playing Amaze and we never really got a hang of that in the hour or so we played it. Did you struggle with this as much as we did in that game? Yeah, I mean, entirely. I mean, it should have been one-to-one movement. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just not fun. No. It's not fun. It's, it's just frustrating because, like you said, it's like playing tennis with yourself, but realising you're not fast enough to run around the table in time. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, well, what's the fucking point? Yeah. Like, it also <laughs> defeats the point of being on the play date and using a crank at all because it's just mapping left and right to yeah. a crank. And indeed, you can play it with the D-pad, but somehow yeah. that feels even slower. So yeah. that's not really viable either. Yeah. And I think the real annoyance is having seen games that just get this right. The really simple bit. Mm. As an example, I've said already, Whitewater Wipeout, whether or not people got bored of it after a while, obviously there's not that much to do. I can come back to it and know exactly what to do. Yeah. Because I know that if I want to point up, up we go. If I'm doing a spin, one 360 degree motion, we're back to where we were. And it always polls exactly one-to-one what's going on. And the same way in Core Fall, like I've played quite a lot that the last few weeks, you were always directing in the way you expect to be going. And it means that you get used to very quickly being able to kind of do quick turns on the spot to kind of maintain your position, even though you're automatically moving forwards. You have a lot of granular control over not moving, essentially. Yeah. Because you can balance it kind of backwards and forwards as if you're, you know, juggling a ball or whatever. But yeah, it just doesn't quite work. And it's annoying because it could have been something else for the play date. So, you know, we've got an asteroid clone. We've got a snake clone. These are kind of like classic arcade games that would have been nice to just have in the background. Taking up just a few kilobytes of space to return to when you're bored. You've got 10 seconds to kill somewhere. Oh, I'll just do a quick level of this. When as it stands, I load it up, I die. And then we're like, well, I don't want to do a quick level of this. Yeah. (laughs) It's annoyed me. Yeah. I mean, I think the only way I thought that it could be improved if they did want to do this like we said like it is a what if and there's a reason why in what how many years has 
Breakout or Arkanoid been in existence? 30, 40 years? A long time. Somebody would have tried doing this before and they thought, nah, it's not fun. Yeah. And that's why we've continued to have other classic block-breaking games. Yeah. One thing I don't understand is if it's going to be B360, why not have the stage be a circle? Yeah. Why not have a paddle either side then? Yeah. Yeah. Have two paddles. That would help. That would help. You wouldn't have to worry about it bouncing off walls and walls having lives. It just feels weird. Like, if you're playing, like, with 360 degrees in your mind, like, to then have it sort of just jut off at, like, a, a right angle from something, it's like, oh, well, of course I wasn't going to get it then. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, because it's going on the other side, it's like, it could very easily just, like, bounce into a little corner and take out two walls. Yeah, really quickly. Really quickly. And you just think, of all the things that they would have tried with the game, one, why did they decide that this was the best format for yeah. it? Or two, why didn't they try more things? <laughs> because, yeah, it's a shame because I love a block-breaking game. Yeah. I love it. You had Alleyway on the Game Boy. I remember that. Yeah, and I loved that. You know, I played loads of Barkanoid in well, Arcade yeah, Paradise. Yeah, yeah, I had a really great block-breaking game on my old Windows PC when I was a kid, and I loved that. And it's a shame. The real telling thing, I guess, is that, obviously, this week, these are the games we're talking about. So every time I got the play that out, I was like... Come on then, let's do a bit of B360, let's see how we're doing and, and just try and get some thoughts together. And I'd lose a ball. Sometimes I wouldn't even drain all my lives. I'd lose a ball and I'd be like, I'm going to play my yong. I'm going to go back to Sparrow Solitaire. And I'd just immediately yeah. exit out and go back to the game I wanted to enjoy. And then yeah, I'd be yeah. like, oh, I do really like this console. <laughs> it's just, this particular game is not, not doing it for me. Yeah, that's it. Is Ratcheteer better? Ratcheteer was voted the best game on the Playdate at the Playdate Community Awards. Well, well. Do you agree? Do you concur? I will say that it is extraordinarily good. Oh, that's high praise. It's not perfect. It's got some flaws. And some of the flaws led me to delete the game from my play date within the first 10 minutes of playing it and thought, (laughs) fuck it. This is a terrible last week for the play date. I hate both these games. But it was actually when I was listening to the episode on Ratcheteer on the Playdate podcast that I thought... Okay, hang on a minute. I've really written this off very quickly, haven't I? So, Ratcheteer. It is a self-confessed, top-down, action-adventure, Zelda-like game. It is very, very similar to Link's Awakening in many, many ways, but by the creator's own admission, they didn't see the point in just making a clone of Link's Awakening and sought to find ways to evolve the formula and add something new to the conversation. And most of the ways they do this are incredibly successful and... What's finishing the first official season of the play day is, I would say, certainly the most complete, fully formed, quote unquote, proper game yeah. on the play day. Yeah. Much like how I love the bite sized genre ticks of something like The King's Dungeon, giving me my Metroidvania kicks in a fraction of the time. Ratcheteer basically does this for a full Zelda game, boiling down a, you know, 10 to 12 hour game into three or four hours or. A little bit longer if you want to 100% it. But it, it manages to go through so many of the classic Zelda tropes in its short, well, short by comparison runtime. It's long by comparison for a Playday game. Yeah. It's by far the longest game of, of like a single campaign. Obviously, I think we've both put more hours into uh, Sparrow Solitaire than anything else. Uh, <laughs> Fish and feathers. And, yeah. <laughs> But you've got dungeons with bosses, puzzles to solve, items to find, like Metroid-style gated areas that you need certain items to bypass. You've got overworld, underworld, and you've got maps. You've got crystal clear sprite work. You've got great music. The game is astoundingly well made. Just the performance of the game alone is, is rock solid. 
the variety in items and puzzle mechanics are on par with any of like the Game Boy's Zelda games, albeit in a more scaled down, more direct way. It's got a great variety of environments and locations too, all the way up to the end of the game. It, it filled me with surprise and like genuine wow moments. The dungeon designs, the boss designs are all really clever and satisfying. The implementations of the crank are really interesting. I'm not saying that as a, as a, a euphemism for bad, <laughs> uh, because some of the crank implementations work incredibly well. Like yeah. Most of the items you get have a crank feature, and it's surprisingly well used. Even like your main sword, or your wrench, because you are a mechanic, not a hero of time. You press A to use it to swing it, you use the crank to do a spin attack. Lovely, lovely stuff. But I found like I wasn't as frustrated as I thought I would be, having to not only switch between items, but also switch between using buttons and the crank to operate those items. It's nowhere near as seamless as something like a Zelda game. And it's probably not as seamless as it probably could be, because, yeah, I think there are some strange choices that I think overcomplicate the game. Yeah. And, like, those mechanics. Starting with, like, the first item you get, which is a crank-powered lamp to light your way in the dark like not a bad idea in concept at all like it's great it's a fun idea it's just not fun to use in reality again it's like just because you can do something doesn't mean you should yeah like the light based puzzles that are in the game are great they work really really well but it's a real hassle having to basically have your lamp equipped most of the time when you're already limited to just having two items equipped at one time and you can only actually use one at a time yeah like, I'm sure they could have found another item to use similarly for those type of puzzles, whilst also having everything visible as well. Because there are certain areas and certain dungeons that are just fully lit, and it's immediately a much more engaging, much more fun time. Yeah. And, and I didn't yeah. mind it at that point, then when I go, oh, I'm going into a cave. Okay, well, this is a nice time to I'll get my lamp out. It means I can only use one item. Okay, do I take my sword or do I take my jump? You know, and it would give those areas a certain degree of peril. But because it's so front-loaded, the game is so front-loaded with darkness and this lamp, it's just very, very frustrating. It was genuinely so annoying to use in the early stages of the game because, like I said, not only do you desperately need it because everything's dark, but you only have that one item. And because you need to use the same button to interact with things as you do to turn the lamp on and off... And if you turn it off, you have to crank it up again. <laughs> and if you try and interact with something that isn't interactable, then you turn your lamp off. Yeah. And there's no way of knowing whether or not you can interact with like a bookshelf or if it's not interactable. And it was just so annoying because that's how you start a Zelda-like game is you want to go and check everything out. Yeah. And you can't. And it, like I said at the start, it was genuinely so annoying that I just wrote the game off and thought, I'm not going to enjoy this this is a terrible design decision. I deleted it from my play date, but fortunately I did give it a second chance because, <laughs> because like I said, the game is absolutely outstanding. Yeah. There's secrets galore in the game. There's reason to go back through the entire world and all of the dungeons because there's stuff that you can't get even in the first dungeon that you won't be able to get until you get the item from like the last place you go to. And, you know, to 100% everything is nice. I even managed to find a a super secret little shed with the developers of the game hiding in it, uh, which was a nice touch. So you get to chat with them. Just chilling out. Just chilling out, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's an incredibly well-made game. The level design, the map design is superb, especially, 
I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but there's a late game twist, sort of, that puts everything in the world in a different light, and it is quite genius and genuinely breathtaking. You just consider everything totally differently, and it's absolutely amazing. Again, it's a game that, given how hard I know it is to make a game in general, the challenges that so many developers have had in making games for the playdate, seeing a lot of people pull off some amazing things, seeing a lot of amazing people just make some absolute shit. Uh, it's... <laughs> <laughs> to see a game this well made, that runs this well, is really special. It's a hell of a way to end the first official season. You don't like Zelda games, Chris. What did you like think of this? <laughs> I got to the point that you've already mentioned, essentially, that I beat the first dungeon, so I've got to that point. But the whole way through, I was thinking, this light mechanic, very impressive. Because it does illuminate a 2D stage. And, you know, we're, mm. we're working with severe limitations here. Very impressive, but very frustrating. And it's exactly like you said. It's the amount of times I would unequip it or I'd turn it off, whatever happens when you kind of bump it. And then realize it's like, okay, change back, crank it up. Those little decisions wound me up that that's at the start. Yeah. And I wouldn't have had a problem in the way that, you know, the small bits of Zelda that I've played over the years. Or even, you know, I beat Link's Awakening. have beaten that one. But like playing through that, if it was like, no, this dungeon is the one where it's going to be dark. And this dungeon is the one you need to essentially do that micromanagement, like Doom 3 style. It's like, mm. you've got your weapon yeah. or you've got your light. So let's think about what we're going to do to get through this. That could have worked really well. And it's annoying that it led with that. Because by the sounds of it, there's a whole chunk of great game that I have yet to see. I mean, you've given me enough of a nudge to want to carry on. Mm. by saying the good stuff is yet to come kind of thing mm. but yeah i don't know i suppose anytime you're working with a very small team you haven't got a huge amount of people playtesting stuff it's the type of thing maybe you know a bigger budget release would have had someone say should we just shift that around a bit should we maybe take some of those mechanics and just push it elsewhere slightly to make this work a little bit more smoothly and it hasn't quite happened i did like though that the game feels simultaneously very big and very small yeah you know it does feel like a play date game it feels like i've got this little tiny world in my hand but it feels like there is a lot of map to get through and a lot of stuff to find and discover and i think in contrast to casual birder in week one mm. that felt reasonably expansive but still very contained like i could keep in my head where everything was because it was not that many screens essentially for this whole little world yeah and this is much bigger, you know, all the sections have their own little maps. It's really nice to start uncovering that sort of like Metroid style. And it felt like a game that was meant to be played in little micro doses on a little micro machine, but with stuff to find, you know, more than just, you know, you've got the four walls of this room, that's kind of it. There was a lot more beyond that. I think Ratcheteer is far closer to the how on earth have they fit that on here sort of wonder <laughs> that comes yeah. with like Game Boy Zelda games. Yeah than anything else we've had this season in terms of just looking at what's actually going on and thinking there's a lot going on it really is a lot kind of to this and i would like to see more of it i think if it does improve as you say and become something quite special it's got really lovely sound work yeah you've mentioned yeah. that already it's got heavy nods to link's awakening in kind of the sound design and the music as well but i quite like that obviously i've already talked about the playdate podcast you've mentioned it for this one as well they do mention that quite explicitly, that it's like, mm. that was the inspiration. That was where we were coming from. That was kind of what I was listening to. That's kind of what got us going. But it's nice as well that you can hear that so explicitly, mm. because I would have picked up on that even if I hadn't listened to the podcast. So it goes back to that kind of initial thing at the beginning of the show. It's like, I would have got that reference. And that, I think, made me enjoy 
the music a little bit more because I could see kind of what they were drawing from. Whereas someone who goes in cold and has never played Link's Awakening might kind of play it and go, well, it's a bit, bit bleepy bloopy, isn't it? We could do a bit more <laughs> of this. You know, it's, it's that kind yeah. of thing that it's like there is a level of kind of a subtle nod or like a vindication you get when you do spot these little things and it kind of makes things make sense to you. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a strong end to the season. As much as it's not really my type of game, it's frustrating that B360 was not better mm. because I think that could have been a real nice one too. You know, for us in particular, yeah. being like arcade game for Chris, Zelda Light for Jonathan Dunn. That, yeah. that would have been a nice little pairing to round it out. But still, what a little device. Absolutely incredible. I've had such a wonderful time playing through the first season of games i'm really really glad that we've been able to cover these games as the catalog's been released as loads more games have been developed outside of the season for us to cover as well and hey it's not over because when they oh. did release the catalog they also did release two new free games where it's just sort of like a, a freebie top up to the first season real steel and recommendation dog and we're gonna play them and we're going to play them, and that will be our next Playdate update, which will be our last Playdate update before we then do our big old rank off. We've been <laughs> stocking up our rank banks, and we are gonna, <laughs> we're going to find a definitive order for not only the first season of Playdate games, but also as much of the catalogue games as we can as well yeah. that I've played uh, and Chris will have played. I'll get through some more. You'll agree. <laughs> yeah. So that was our latest Playday update, Ratcheteer and B360. Fantastic. And not fantastic. That's it. Chat to us about what you're playing, not just on the Playday. If you are playing on your Playday, tell us certainly what you're playing on that. Tell us how you're getting on with your season of games, your side-loaded games, your catalogue games. We'd love to hear from you at O3C Games on pretty much every social media platform. Or you can chat to us individually. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. And please do join us next week when we will be filling each other in on our latest non-playdate update activity dates. I've played some other games. Yeah. Find out what they are next week. All right.